gospel is spreading, then we know that there's somebody that's going to try to hinder that. We know that there's somebody that is going to uh, uh, bring persecution as, as we see that happening even these days, right, as, as a gospel. When it comes to this persecution, it really doesn't come or it, it doesn't come from people. And, and yes, people are used to hinder the work of God. People are used to come against the spreading of the gospel. But remember this, it's not really the people, it's really the enemy, the spirit behind these people that are, that are used to stop and to hinder the work of God. And we know that Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where he talks about the fact that, you know what, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these spiritual hosts of wickedness. It's against these rulers of the darkness of this age. It's really against these principality, against these powers. And as a reminder, you know, when you have people that do come against you, it's not the people that are coming against you. It's the enemy that has used and, and moved these people to come against us as Christians. And so what we have here happening, as we read here in verse 1, it said there that at this time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. So what we have here is we have here the fact that King Herod, you know, you have this man, Herod, that, that is used by the enemy. Again, it's not him. It's the enemy that's using him to come against the church. And so when we look at, uh, at this king, you know, we know that it is this man that the enemy is using to begin some persecution. And who is this King Herod? You know, when we look at this King Herod, he was King Herod Agrippa I. And he was the assigned king over the Jews. And it was the Roman, uh, uh, or the, I should say, the Roman Emperor Claudius that actually had assigned him as king over the Jews. And basically, all he was was a politician to represent the Jews. That's all he had. It Just because they had a king doesn't mean that they had their freedom. It doesn't mean that that they were able and to do as they wished or they were independent of Rome. Basically, all he was was a politician that represented the Jews. And so when we look at King Herod, many people confuse all these Herods, and they think that it's the same one that, that began there when, uh, remember, as uh, uh, King Herod the, uh, the Great, as he ordered all the male children to be murdered, uh, you know, in his quest to take out the king that was revealed, that was born, as we're celebrating Christmas, uh, we're celebrating this event. It's not that same king. Uh, that king was called King Herod the Great, and this Herod Agrippa I was actually the grandson of Herod the Great. He was also the nephew, as I share these things with you, just so that you know, there was various Herods. Uh, there was another Herod, and his name was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was, uh, was actually the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. So this King Herod Agrippa was actually the nephew to Herod Antipas. And these Herods, remember, this was all a family. They were all related to one another, but... They got in with the Roman emperor, and so, you know, they had this, uh, this ability to now, you know, 
uh, have themselves or families elected as kings over the Jews. But when we look at these Herods, understand one thing is that the Jews would never accept any one of them as their king. I want you to know why they wouldn't accept them as their king because these were non-Jews. Remember, the Herods were non-Jews. These were actually Edomites. These were those that came from Esau, descendants of Esau. And so all of these Herods were non-Jews, but they actually converted to Judaism. They were Edomites, converted to Judaism. So a Jew would never accept a non-Jew as their king. And the reason I share all of this with you is because I want you to understand why the harassment came. See, when we look at Herod Agrippa I, he understood that the Jews didn't accept him, but he figured out a way to gain their loyalty as well as to win them over. And this was to persecute the church. And so that's why we have the insight here that Herod began to harass the church. And as we keep reading, we'll see additional insight. And it said there in verse 2, Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. See, we have here Luke. He gives us the reality of this harassment. He murders the apostle James. And the apostle James here that we're talking about is the brother of John, the apostle. And how did he kill him? He actually... You know what? He tried him, and then he executed him, and he beheaded him. And when we look at this, right, we saw another murder, uh, another martyr that was mentioned in the Bible. This is actually the second martyr that is told to us, right, because we have Stephen that is mentioned by name. We have Stephen, who was a deacon of the church. Remember, he was martyred because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He was stoned to death. And now we have here James the Apostle, the second martyr, the second one that is mentioned to us. But as we look at James, I, I mentioned James because you, th you tend to think, well, why would he choose James? Why would Herod not attack maybe the leader, Peter, right? And we're going to see that in due time he's going to attack Peter. But in looking at, at James, you know, it's important to realize that when the enemy comes after a body, he usually attacks who? The leaders, right? He attacks the leaders, and it's important for us to realize that, that his desire is to take out the leaders. So somehow James was extremely influential in the church. We're talking about here the brother of John. And as we look at this, right, we, we know that he was extremely, I mean, he was filled with the Spirit, and, and we know how influential, I mean, he was influential by the fact that Herod Agrippa I wanted to kill, wanted to, uh, or took him out, murdered him. And he was influential and because of what tradition tells us too. When you look at tradition and you begin to look into the Apostle James before his murder, he was, he was before he was beheaded, there was a Roman soldier that was assigned to him. And this is tradition again. And as tradition states that this Roman soldier that was assigned to him, he was so moved by the courage and the zeal and the rest and the joy that he had, that he himself surrendered himself to the Lord. And as James was beheaded, he also was beheaded. And as we think about that, right, what moves a Roman soldier to do this? 
it begins to speak to you about the life of James, the spirit that would overflow from this man, that he touched those around him. And so we see that Herod Agrippa the, the first, you know, he took out James and and then he decides to do something more than that, right? Because he saw what happened with James and the Jews that he reigned over. And so we're told in verse 3 of, of here, Acts 12, it says, And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. And so we have here the king. He's gaining support and acceptance from the non-Jews. He's saying that it's pleasing, I mean, from the Jews. He's saying that it's pleasing the Jews. And so he sees that, hey, you know what? I'm winning them over. So as he wins them over, he says, you know what? I'm not going to stop with just James. I'm going to go further. And so he goes after Peter. And he actually captures Peter. The problem is he can't execute Peter. He can't try him and execute him. And the reason he can't uh, try and execute him is because the insight that was given to us. It was a Passover and the days of unleavened bread. They were celebrating these events or these festivals. And we know the Passover is, is a celebration of, of the deliverance from Egypt. Remember, the Jews were delivered by God from Egypt. And the Lord said, I never want you to forget this day. So I want you to celebrate. The, uh, I want you to have a Passover and I want you to celebrate this. And he also told them, you know what? Because you guys had to leave quickly, you know what? I want you also to now celebrate the Days of Unleavened Bread, a reminder of what happened there. Because remember, they left quickly. They couldn't put the yeast into the leaven. And so for a week, they ate unleavened bread. And because these were celebrations, Herod couldn't try them. Herod couldn't try Peter, I should say. And he couldn't put him before, you know, a trial. And so... Instead of, of, of having to try because he knew it, there was no way that he could do this, he places Peter in prison. And he assigns, as we see there, four squadrons. Or he assigns, as he says there, he says squads of soldiers. And basically what this means here in verse 4, let's read it. It says, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison. And he says, and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. So we see here that, you know what, he, he does arrest him, he puts him in prison, but he delivers him to four squads of soldiers. You know how many soldiers this was? These were 16 soldiers. He wanted to make sure that Peter would not escape. So you assign these Roman soldiers to guard him. And you think to yourself, you know what, four squadrons, right? These are four squads. In other words, they would alternate with time. So four soldiers would cover the 24-hour period. And so you have 16 soldiers. And so what happens next? This is where we get into now the weapons that the Lord gives us to defeat the enemies. He gave us now the, the background information as to what was going on. And so we can see now really the weapons that he gives us in order that we defeat the enemy. And he begins here in verse 5 where he says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Dr. Luke tells us that while he's in prison, something's happening. 
And Dr. Luke wants to give us the attention as to what's going on there in the church. He says that there is prayer going on. He just doesn't say there was just a prayer once in a while. He doesn't say that, oh, they prayed from in the morning. He says that there was constant prayer. So there was constant and earnest prayer that was being offered to God by the church. See, Dr. Luke wants to bring our focus to prayer. He wants us to make sure that we are aware that the church was praying. Remember, I mentioned to you that I would give you weapons. Weapons of power that have been given to us by God. As we go through our trials, as the enemy attacks us. And what he's going to give us is he's going to give us the first one here. And the first one is prayer. Prayer. Remember that. The weapons to defeat our enemies. The first weapon that he gives us is prayer. And I'm going to give you a total of six today so you know. But as we see here. See, there, are, there is this thing called prayer that is available for each and every one of us. And it's a powerful thing. And especially when we have trials or especially when the enemy comes against us. It is God's desire that when this happens that we would be a people of prayer to defeat the enemy. See, what happens many times when trials hit or when the enemy comes, we begin to have fear. And we know that fear will do something to us because it's a powerful emotion. It's a powerful emotion that overwhelms us, that overtakes us, that debil de debilitates us. And this is what fear does. And this is why the Lord has mentioned in the scriptures, and I've shared this with you in times past, that do not be afraid or don't be afraid or fear not. It's mentioned 365 times in the Bible to remind us that on a daily basis that we are not to fear. And as we think about this, as we think about this fear that, that comes at us to overtake us, to overwhelm us, to debilitate us, it can easily be replaced by one thing. And that one thing that the Lord wants to bring to our attention is faith. See, when we have faith, we won't have fear. They go in opposite directions and they work against each other. And how is it that our faith grows? Our faith grows by the word of God, as it says there in Romans 10, verse 17. Because the word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And because it's alive, when we hear it, it does something to us. And we have this example for us to learn from. We have these things that the Lord reveals to us. And as I shared with you, to overcome the enemy, we must, or overcome fear, or overcome the trials, is the first weapon is, is prayer. I want to share with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It says, Therefore the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. See, there are weapons of warfare that we have. And one of those weapons of warfare that we have is prayer. And I do believe that many of us underestimate the power of prayer. 
Because if you and I truly understood prayer, we would spend so much more time praying. The issue becomes that we're not praying enough. And yet we allow fear to come in and we allow these trials and our enemies to come to consume our minds, to overtake us, to overwhelm us, to debilitate us. And it moves us from doing the thing that God has asked us to do. See, when we look at prayer, understand that God will move through prayer. Not that God is restricted to, to prayer or confined to prayer, but he has chosen to work through prayer. Remember, God isn't really ordered by prayer, but he has chosen to work through it. And we must remember that. And as we see here, there's also another powerful weapon that is given to us. And it's here in verse 5. And the second weapon that we have is the church. Remember, the church. And what do I mean by this? See, the church is mentioned here, and it is a very powerful body that the enemy has tried to destroy. It is a weapon that we have that has worked against the work of the enemy. See, because we are an army of believers. And many times what happens to people is that a lot of them decide to, you know what, well, I don't need to be at church. Or, or they say, you know what, I don't need church. But in reality, they're so weakened because they're not at church. And they are an easy target for the enemy. We have many illustrations when it comes to those lone rangers, so-called lone rangers that say, I don't need church. You can easily figure that out when you take a charcoal and take it out of the rest of the charcoal and it burns out. We have another illustration for you when it comes to the redwood trees. When you look at redwood trees, right, they don't have roots that are very long, but yet these trees grow to be, what, 20 to 50 feet high. And how is it that they can soar so high? With those short roots, what they do is they hang on to each other. See, when you look at the root of a redwood tree, it's not very big, but yet the tree grows very tall. And you never see a redwood that's on their own because that redwood cannot hold on to the others. And what happens is, is that when we have the redwoods that stick together, they're united, they're hanging on to each other, and they become very powerful and very strong. When you look at the church, when a church is united, it is a very powerful entity. It is a very powerful body. See, when we think about the body of Christ, the church, the Lord himself told us, he shared in his word that if a house is divided, it can never stand. Matthew 12, 25. When a house is divided, it can never stand. But the Lord himself knows that when a house is united, how powerful they are. He knows that any entity that comes in unity will stand and will have victory. See, God himself said this, when it comes to any people, anybody that's united, they are powerful. And the enemy knows that if a church is united, that they have great power and he can't defeat them. How do I know this? Because when we look at the Tower of Babel, many of us are familiar with the Tower of Babel. And you had the people that came together. 
And look at what the Lord said of the people that at the time these were non-believers, how powerful they were as they were united. In Genesis eleven six, it says, indeed, the people are one. They are one. He reminds us that the people are united. And they have one language. We're talking about the people of the earth. They were united as one. They had one language. And this is what they began to do. But look at the insight that the Lord gives us of people that are united. He says, now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, what they set out to do, nothing can take it away. Reminding us of the power of unity. Of how important it is to be strong and to be united. See, when we look at Peter as he talked to us about the enemy, he also gave us some insight. And it's going to lead me to my third point here. But when Peter talked about the enemy, he said that, you know what, the enemy is like a roaring lion and he's seeking someone to devour. But he told us, be alert and be watchful in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But he told us there, as he talks about this, because remember, when Peter wrote that section of, the, uh, uh, of his letter, he was talking there about the church. He was talking there about the body of believers. And what he said to us there, and he's talking to the church, he says, resist him. Be steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, we're all going to face suffering. We're all going to face the enemy. We're all going to face trials. But he gives us the clue, the insight there as to how to defeat the enemy. He says to be steadfast in the faith. What does this mean? Remember, I told you I would give you these weapons that we have. And remember, we read there in 2 Corinthians, right, that the weapons of our warfare are mighty in pulling down strongholds. What we have here is the word of God. When Peter says, be steadfast in the faith, he's saying, be strong in the faith. What have you heard? What have you been taught? This is what we hang on to. And this is what our weapon is. A weapon of our warfare comes from the word of God. See, because when we look at the Word of God, this is why we give you the Word and nothing but the Word. When you look at what Paul wrote about the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does this mean? When we look at what Paul is revealing to us, he is saying that the word of God will teach you truth. It will teach you doctrine. That's what doctrine is. It is truth. And not only will it teach you truth, but he says that it reproves. What does reproof mean? It reveals what's not true. It reveals lies. The word of God reveals lies. And he says it also corrects you. And then it says that the word of God gives us instruction in righteousness. In other words, it teaches us what is right. So what happens is that when the enemy comes, the enemy or the trials come, and the, that means that there's going to be lies that also come with that. 
lives of, of discouragement, lives of despair, lives of giving up. And these lies come from the enemy. But when you have the word of God living in you and knowing the word of God, then you can easily fight against the enemy. That's why it's called a weapon. That's why when, when Paul wrote the letter to 2 Corinthians, he says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in pulling down strongholds. They pull down the strongholds, these lies that the enemy gives us. Remember when Jesus was tempted there in the wilderness? He was tempted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And remember, what did the enemy come and give him? The enemy came and spoke lies to the Lord. He twisted the scripture. When he twisted the scripture, how is it that the Lord fought back and he had victory over the enemy? Because he began to quote the word of God. See, the enemy couldn't fight the truth. And so he left. See, this is why it's so important for us to understand the Word of God. Because when you know the Word of God and you're steadfast in the faith, the things that you've heard, the things that you've been taught, then you will have victory over the enemy. You will have victory over the lies that he gives us. As we keep moving on in verse 6 here in Acts 12, it says that, when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Let me share with you what's happening here. Peter is sleeping. And remember, he is sleeping the night before his execution. How many of us would be sleeping the night before our execution? I think many of us would be praying, right? And we'd be like, Lord, deliver me. Lord, free me somehow. You know what? We wouldn't have rest all that night. We'd be asking the Lord to save us. But yet, when we look at Peter, he appears to be sleeping. You know, when we think about Peter, why would he sleep? Why would he have rest? Remember how I shared with you how we have the word of God to give us rest, trust, hope. When we believe on these promises, they're true. And when you look at Peter, Peter had heard words from the Lord prior to this. Remember when the Lord was crucified and he rose from the dead? And you remember when he went to the, by the Sea of Galilee and he began to make fish for the apostles? And they saw him, and someone said, that's the Lord. And so what did Peter do? Peter jumped off the boat. He swam to the shore, and he began to talk to the Lord. And the Lord began to converse with him and began to share with him truth, right? And he began to speak to him, and they talked about various things. But the one that I want to talk to you about is what he shared with Peter. And this is from John 21, verse 18 and 19, where he said, 
I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. The event that's happening here with Peter's arrest by King Herod Agrippa I, Peter was still very young. Peter wasn't old at the moment. And Peter remembering these words, the Lord spoke to me that when I would be old is when I would die. Peter was hanging on to the truth of God. See, this is what we, sh what we learn from these things. And what are we reminded from Peter's behavior? What Paul shared with us in 2 Timothy verse 1, 7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. See, many of us, as these trials hit, we can have fear. And this fear overtakes us. It overwhelms us. It debilitates us. And as we think about these things, right, it is God's will that, that we would know that we don't have a spirit of fear, but we have a, a, a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. And what's amazing what happens during this time while he's sleeping is that God answers the prayers of the saints. And this was an amazing miracle. I don't want us to minimize the miracle that took place here. Because as Peter is sleeping, remember, he was chained up to two Roman soldiers. And they're side by side with him. And not only are there two Roman soldiers that are side by side with him, but there are two that are guarding the door so that he doesn't escape. And what happens? An angel arrives. And remember I shared with you, I would give you six weapons that are given to us. The fourth one that I'm going to give you now is angels. Angels. I want you to understand one thing about angels. Angels are powerful. And they are assigned to us to protect us from our enemies. Look at what it says in Psalm 34 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Delivers them. Think about that. Angels have been assigned to you to deliver you from the hands of the enemy. When the enemy attacks, when he comes to destroy, you have an, uh, an angel that will deliver you from our enemy. And I want you to know that each and every one of us have guardian angels. We've heard about angels, and I want you to know that there, has, there is an angel that is assigned to you. And how do I know that there is an angel that's assigned to us? Because the scriptures tell us that. Jesus shared with us in Matthew 18, verse 10. Take heed that you, not, you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels, their angels, that's an angel that is assigned to them. They have an angel, their angels Always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So what we have here is we have an angel that has been assigned to you. And that angel has, is able to see the face of our Father in heaven. Why? Because he's been assigned to you from him. He gets his instructions from him. He knows exactly what to do. And so with Peter, as we come back to the event here, the Lord sends an angel and immediately when he goes into the prison, the light or the glory of the angel shines in the prison. But we see here that P Peter's still asleep. Peter doesn't awake even with this presence that's there. 
He must he was in a deep sleep, right? He was definitely out. You can tell that he's resting, right? And so what does the angel have to do to wake him up? He pushes him. Wake up, Peter. Wake up. And then he tells him, get up. And immediately when he gets up, the chains come off of Peter. Not off the soldiers, but off of Peter. And then the angel tells him, get dressed and put on your clothes. And as we come back to verse 9, it says, So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Let me share with you what's going on here. Peter actually thinks that he's in a dream. He's actually thinks that he's dreaming all of this. And as they pass the guards, they have a gate there that's leading into the city. And remember, I shared with you that at this time, cities were guarded by either walls or gates, right? To keep out the enemy. And so the gate opens on its own. And as they go into the city, Peter is walking down the city and all of a sudden the angel disappears. And when the angel disappears, that's when Peter comes to his senses and he realizes that an amazing miracle of God has taken place. And I love what he says because what he says there is that now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and the Jews. Remember this. Peter knew that it was the Lord that had sent his angel. The Lord sent his angel to deliver him. And this is why we're talking about these angels, right? Because these are the weapons that we have. The weapons that God has assigned for us to have victory and to defeat the enemy. You know, I shared this personal testimony yesterday. You know, we were cleaning out our storage. And as we were cleaning out our storage... All the guys that were talking outside and I was in the storage lot and I ended up taking, you know, I ended up just looking at different things. And I was there by, by one of our cabinets. It's about a four-foot cabinet. And the cabinet was strong enough to hold back the weight, the weight of, for those of you that remember, we used to have a crucifixion play for Good Friday and, and then we would continue it on Easter and so we had all the material from that. We had crosses and we have wood there. And they're very heavy. And so the cabinet was holding these things up. And not only were these, the cabinet holding these things up, but we also had poles because we have a 20 by 40 foot canopy, those white canopies. And so we have at least five or six of those poles that were bonded together with one of those bungee cords. And so all of a sudden when I'm there and, I go to pull something, all of a sudden, those poles from our canopy, as well as all the crosses and all the wood that was held up by the cabinet, 
begins to fall. And I'm there, right? And I just see it and I'm thinking, oh, no, Lord. And all of a sudden, everything falls around me. The metal canopy, there's steel metals. Five of them just landed less than an inch away from my face. The wood is all around me. The cabinet fell on the floor. And the only thing that I walked away with was a little bruise over my knee. As I read this, I was reminded that was my angel. That was an angel that protected me and delivered me from what wanted to destroy me. If I would have been hit by one of those metal bundles of steel, if it, it fell right here and it was... It, those are like eight feet tall, I think. I would have been out. Who knows what would have happened to me. I would have been in the hospital, whatever it was. But yet I escaped it with only a bruise. Again, the reminder that we have angels that are assigned to us to help us and to deliver us as we were told here by Peter. As we keep reading on in verse 12, it says, So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Let me share with you what's going on here. Remember, the angel left Peter, and Peter realized, man, this was an amazing event that just took place. The Lord delivered me. And so what Peter decides to do is he decides to go to Mary's house, and Mary was the mother of Mark. And so we know that they were praying. They were praying together there. And so what he does is he knocks at the door. And he says he knocks at the door, as it says there, of the gate, and a lot of the homes or some of the homes were built with an atrium in between. So you would have a door and then you would have the house further in. So in between was the atrium. And so this girl Rhoda, this young girl Rhoda, she hears a knocking on the door. And so what does she do? She goes to find out who it is. And when she finds out and when, when she probably asked who is it, Peter would have responded, it's Peter. And guess what? She gets all excited, right? And, and she doesn't open the door, but she goes back to the house to let them know Peter is here. And so what happens next? Verse 15 says, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. They tell her, you're crazy, Rhoda. You're out of your mind. It's not Peter. And remember, because the angels would appear quite often at this time. Remember, they appeared and they spoke to Mary and, and the disciples as Jesus rose from the tomb. Remember, angels were appearing. And they would see angels more commonly than we see them today. Because sometimes today we don't understand, as the Word of God says, you know what, as you, as you, are dealing with strangers. Be careful because you could be entertaining an angel. Many times we don't know that they're angels. It wasn't as common as it was back then, but yet here they say it is Peter's angel. Think about that. 
It was very common to them. And they were saying, it's Peter's assigned angel. It's his angel. It's not Peter. It's, an it's the angel that's assigned to Peter that's knocking. But yet she's, no, it's not. And so what happens next? In verse 16, it says that, now Peter continued knocking, right? He's like, come on, guys, open the door. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James, to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So basically what you have here is Peter keeps knocking and they finally open the door and they're astonished, they're surprised. But think about it. Why should they be surprised? I took comfort in this because I thought to myself, you know what? These people, these disciples, they were praying for Peter's deliverance, but yet they didn't believe that it was Peter. When we think about this, right? Because many times we don't always walk with faith, do we? Even in our prayers, sometimes we pray things and yet we don't believe them. But be, take comfort in this. That when we are faithless, even the Lord is what? Faithful. As he tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. And so, Peter, what does he tell him? He says, quiet down. Quiet down. Because they were doing a ruckus. They were excited. And so, he shares with them how the Lord brought him out of prison. And I love what, the Lord, what Peter says here because he gives all the praise to the Lord. He says, he tells them there in verse 17, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. It was the Lord that sent the angel. And if it wasn't the Lord that sent the angel, then he wouldn't have gone out. I shared with you, I would give you six points when it comes to, our, to the weapons that we have to defeat the enemy. And I want to share with you the fifth point. And the fifth point is this. We can defeat the enemy because of the God that we serve. It is God. Remember this. And I'm going to give you scriptures because there's no need to explain these scriptures to them. Because as I give you these scriptures, it will show you the victory that we have in defeating the enemies. In Romans 8.31, it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15.57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember, we have our God that defeats the enemy. You know, as we think about these things, see, you and I can take comfort in this. You and I don't have to have so much fear. We don't have to be consumed with it, overwhelmed, overtaken by it. Because we have God on our side. If we belong to God, then who can be against us? Greater is He. We are more than conquerors. You know, all of these things that we have, these, this God that we serve defeats the enemy that we have, the trials that come against us, the enemy that seeks to destroy us. And so what happens? He tells 
the disciples go tell James. And the James that he's talking about here is actually the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. Because he had become the leader of the church at this moment. So he wants to make sure that James knows. And as James knows, then everyone else will know. And we know that this is the same James that wrote the book of James. He's the author of the book of James. But what's interesting here, and the reason I share this with you is because as Luke shared with us, that Peter departed and went to another place. We don't know what other place he went to, but we know one thing, that this would be the last written acts of Peter. The shifting moves. As, as Luke shares with, this, with us that Peter departed, now we will hear of the acts of Paul moving forward. There's a shift here, and this shift is given to us by Peter. We don't know where he went, but really, the acts of Peter will end here, and now we'll begin the acts of Paul. But as we finish reading in verse 18, it says, Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had, ha what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to, to Caesarea and stayed there. So what we have here is we have basically Herod trying to find out, or actually not Herod, the soldiers are trying to find out first what happened to Peter. They're talking amongst themselves. How could he have left us? Look at the chains are off and Peter's gone. Where did he go? How did he get out? Remember, we have these squads of soldiers, Roman soldiers. And so when Herod gets wind of it, he begins to question these soldiers and ask them, what happened? And they tell him, we don't know. We just know Peter's gone. Roman law at this time was that if a soldier loses his prisoner, the soldier would receive the punishment due the prisoner. So remember, what happens here is that Peter was going to be executed. Herod already knew this. I'm taking Peter out. I'm going to murder him. I'm going to behead him just like I did with James. Because the soldiers lost him, they themselves were executed. And so what Herod does from here is he goes to, from Judea to Caesarea. And let's read the final verses. Verse 20 goes on to say, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aid, their friends, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. This is a finale. And Dr. Luke gives us some amazing insight and some amazing things here. It tells us that the people were angry with King Herod, the people of Tyre and Sidon. And the people were worried. Why were they worried? Because King Herod supplied food for them. And so how are they going to, if King Herod is coming here, man, we got some bad news coming to us. So how can we befriend him? While they knew Blastus was a good friend of his. And so what do they do? They call Blastus. And more than likely, they bribed him. More than likely, they paid him off. 
And so with this, now that King Herod is befriended them and everything is well now with them, he goes and he wants to speak to them. And they said that he had this attire, right? This royal attire. Josephus, the historian, the Jewish historian, he tells us that he actually was arrayed in silver. So you could imagine, right, this king arrayed in silver. And the people there are hearing him speak. And as he's sharing, the people are shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And of course they're going to scream this, right? They want to make sure that, you know what, that they're in good with the king. And so... Herod takes the glory of the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He allows him to be stricken with worms, and so he dies. You know, there's an amazing principle that's spoken to us here. And I, I know I'm running out of time, but I want to share this with you because I think many of us will take comfort with many of the enemies that come against us. And it's called retribution. Basically, it's payback. What we see here, remember, Herod, when we started reading, he murdered James, and he attempted to murder the apostles. And we saw there that the word of God began to be hindered, right? You're, you've taken out James, and now you're taking out Peter. So that means that the word of God is, you know what? It's being hindered from going out if you're taking out the leaders and Remember, everything was built on the apostles' doctrine, the things that Jesus taught them to give to us. And so it appears that the Lord is, is, is on a losing battle here, right? But take comfort. Remember what I share with you. If God is for us, we're more than conquerors. Greater is he that is in us. Look at what the Lord does. What Herod attempted to do, which was to murder, he himself gets killed by the Lord. As we think about this, see, this retribution that I'm talking about, it's throughout the scriptures. The enemies that we have, they will receive what they give us. Remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to what? Kill out all the male babies. He knew that, you know what? We got to stop the Hebrews from multiplying. And so, you know what? He tried to kill them all. And what did the Lord do? He killed his son. When, how many are familiar with Queen Esther and Haman? Remember, Haman built these gallows to hang the Jews. And what happened to Haman? He was hung on the gallows that he built for the Jews. I've shared this with you. And my job, I had many, I had my colleagues that wanted to get me fired. And every single one of them was fired. And we see it here with Herod. He wanted to murder the apostles and he himself was killed by the Lord. So what does this mean? Does this mean that, hey, Lord, let's pray for our enemies to be wiped out by you? That's not what we do. Because I promised you I would give you six points. I'm going to give you one final point. To defeat the enemies that we have. It is through love. Love. The sixth point here is love. See, when we look at what the Lord has called us to do, and some of you will say or think to yourself, man, you know what? How am I going to win my enemies through love? And that sounds sort of weak, doesn't it? 
But when we look at the Lord himself, is he weak? Did you know that he loved his enemies? I need to remind us of who we are. See, before we came to the Lord, it tells us in Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember, when you hated the Lord, when you wanted nothing to do with him, he went to the cross and he showed you his love. And not only that, but it brought us to our knees, as it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. See, when God came to the earth, he wanted to show us a principle, a principle that is far from what other man teaches. And this is why, you know, this comes from God, because it wouldn't be from man. Because when Jesus taught us, as he says in Matthew 5, 43 to 45, he said to love your neighbor. That I'm sorry, he says that it's been taught to you guys to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Remember, this is how he won us. When we were enemies of Christ, he loved us and he did good to us. And in loving us and doing good to us, it brought us to our knees and we surrendered ourselves to him. The enemies of our lives are conquered through love. Remember that. You know what? We don't retaliate because the Lord says in his word, vengeance is mine. We don't take retribution into our own hands. Payback comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from us. You know, as we look also at here in uh, 2 Thessalonians, he says the same thing. He says in verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. He'll take care of it. All we're called to do is to love our enemies. Don't worry about them just love on them and let the lord take care of them we gave you some amazing weapons here that god has given us and they work they work as we're faced with fear as we're faced with trials he's giving them to us so that we can walk in victory and believe me none of us here is immune to trials is immune to the attacks of the enemy as Christians we will be attacked we will have trials but we have the weapons to overcome them amen let's close with that amen we thank you